Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Happy free agency week. I'm your host, Ian Hardis, joined as always by PFF's own Dwayne, The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, it's I thought it was going to be today where things got crazy. We have had some moments. Sunday was also, you know, really just, uh, you know, crazy carousel going around and around. We last talked on Friday. We got a lot to catch up on, my friend. Absolutely. Uh, but like, man, it's, it's all the changes are happening. We're starting to get a new feel for what 2022 fantasy football is going to look like. I love it. Let's do it. And also a shout out to Christian Kirk. You are freaking uh, rich as shit now. <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. So as we talk about these contracts, you know, as always, we like to say we do not hate these players. We hate the ADP. I hope every player in the league can make as much money as possible. Dwayne, I don't even believe the salary cap should exist. I think that if someone wants to pay a running back $200 million, they should be allowed to. We can talk about parity and all that. But let's focus on the task at hand. That is going through all these moves from the past few days. Thank you, as always, for tuning in everyone let's start off with monday mitchell trubisky taking his talents to the pittsburgh steelers on a two-year deal Dwayne, i get it it's mitch trubisky we're used to seeing him be a fairly terrible quarterback you know we had the nice 2018 stretch and everything but that was the bears now the bears shout out you know jim mcmahon the 80s jay cutler maybe Here's the thing. When I look at the Bears, when I look at Washington, I think to myself, has every single quarterback that has played for this team for the last 30 years truly sucked? Or does it maybe have something to do with the organization involved in grooming these quarterbacks? So with Trubisky, we are going from, again, one of the objectively worst spots we've ever seen groom quarterbacks to not necessarily a quarterback factory. I know Big Ben's been the only guy there for a better part of the last two decades, but at a minimum, one of the best head coaches in the NFL. We got two good to great receivers in Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, a rising tight end, Pat Fryermuth, and, you know, at least a workhorse at running back. I know Najee Harris didn't have the greatest efficiency numbers, but Dwayne, to me, looking at Trubisky, he's someone that's not going to be ranked inside anyone's top 15. Maybe he cracks the top 20, depending on what else they do uh, with the draft. But he seems like a classic example of someone that we need to look extra hard at him or his skill position players because Najee, Claypool, Deontay, Frymouth, they're all going to be ranked pretty high in fantasy boards. Why, why shouldn't Mitch be as well? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I look at Trubisky, I think it's pretty simple. He's a quarterback that we know is willing to use his legs, whether it's scrambling or they can do some things from a design run perspective. Um, we know they actually had different uh, some ideas that they wanted to implement last year as far as the offense and some things they wanted to change that maybe they couldn't just because of the statuesque, you know, uh, version of Ben that we were dealing with this late in his career. And so when you take that ability for Trubisky to utilize his legs and then you look at the fact that this will probably be the best group of receivers, not not to like, you know, pound on the receivers he had in Chicago like he did have Allen Robinson, you know. So, I mean, he had a good target, but then he had, you know, the the declining Jimmy Graham. I, Graham, I think as a group, like this will be, you know, the best uh, receiving core that he's had for sure. So I'm interested from a fantasy perspective. I don't know for sure what's going to happen you know, from an NFL perspective. But to your point, like, I mean, I don't think we have to be, you know, a thousand percent out on a guy just because, you know, he didn't hit in those first few years. It was the Bears. It was Matt Nagy. There were a lot of issues people saw with the play calling. So I want I'm going to give him a shot. I think, you know, it's not somebody obviously that's going to be creeping up towards our top 12 quarterbacks or anything like that. But the type of guy that, you know, if you start getting down to like quarterback 18, 19, 20, he, he checks a couple of boxes that let's just be honest, a lot of the other guys aren't going to check with the legs and having the weapons. You know, I think he's a little bit more like a Carson Wentz than a Sam Darnold, where at least we have seen him be a very good quarterback for a brief period of time. I mean, weeks one through 11 in 2018, overall fantasy QB seven. We had two appearances as a QB one, QB two, QB five and QB nine finishes all in that stretch, averaging 36 rushing yards per game. So that's really what it comes down to. Maybe just maybe he learned something behind Josh Ol Allen, who also was, you know, first a great fantasy quarterback before becoming a great real life option. Uh, just a few things. I did some research on kind of this topic again, where the whole offense is ranked really highly, but the quarterback isn't. Um, I was looking at kind of the best teammate combinations and fantasy see a couple years ago and 48 of 120 
Fantasy QB ones boasted at least one top 24 wide receiver and a top 12 tight end. Not a bad hit rate, and that does seem to be the case with what we're looking at between Pat Fryermuth and uh, Deontay Johnson. And if you're really bullish on both Deontay and Chase Claypool, 74% of the instances of a quarterback enabling two top 24 PPR wide receivers also finished as a QB one. So to Dwayne's point, like, yeah, we're talking about someone that's going to be QB 18, QB 20. You're not going to draft him in your traditional one QB redraft leagues, but super flex two QB leagues, even like, you know, a waiver wire and the right matchup down the way. I think Trubisky offers a little bit more fancy upside than your typical below average real life quarterback. Now, Dwayne, I think we've, you know, probably pissed off enough people spending so much time Mitchell Trubisky to start off the podcast. We do have some serious high-end fancy relevant uh, takeaways. And the biggest one I think is James Conner being back with the Cardinals. Uh, I've seen some of you go out there and, you know, make a little mistake. You guys are trying to say James Conner played five games without Chase Edmonds. It was six. He only played one. Edmonds only played one snap before getting out in week nine. So peep those game logs. Otherwise, I'll do it for you. Anyway, in those games, RB1, RB17, RB7, RB12, also RB2 in another RB1 finish. Average five receptions in those games. Dwayne, we got Chase Edmonds out of the picture. I, it would make sense if the Cardinals add someone else to the room. I doubt it's going to be just James Conner and Eno Benjamin uh, for the entirety of training camp. But from a pure volume projection, man, injury potential aside, it's going to be tough to keep James Conner out of that top 12. Yeah, I mean, if you look at those games where you didn't have Chase Edmonds, the big difference really, right, was the work in the receiving game and the routes run. You know, he saw 66%, 56%, 64%, 71%, and 59% uh, routes per dropback in those games without Chase Edmonds. Targets per route run in those games, 25%, 22%, 20%, 13%, 26%. So, yeah, like if if we've got a situation here where Connor is going to also get to handle most of the receiving down work, which as of right now, the way the roster looks, they could use Eno Benjamin, you know, as a change of pace type back. But, you know, it's not like we it's not like something where with Connor, we haven't seen him be a viable passing game option in the past because we have. He's not done what he did for that stretch with the Cardinals. But I think it's a situation where, I mean, Ian, I don't see how he's not in the top 12, you know, fantasy backs unless they really draft, unless there's somebody that they draft, right? If they draft somebody in the first three rounds, that could be a situation where we have to recalibrate and think, okay, maybe it won't be that way for Connor. But right now, looking at it, I don't see any way that you keep James Connor out of the top 12 fantasy backs for this season. Now, coming with that, we know that there's been, you know, a lot of history of James Connor being dinged up. And I'm sure some folks will still even remember, I guess it was two or three years ago, right? When it was supposed to be James Conner season and he was going to be taking over the Pittsburgh backfield. And, you know, oh, I remember Dwayne, myself and all my fans hey, teams remember in, injury. Well, I know. And people, people don't let go of that stuff. So I will, it'll be interesting to see what kind of an impact that has on his ADP. But if he somehow settles into like an early third round pick, mm. I think that's really going to be valuable. My guess is he's going to sneak into the second round. Um, we'll have to wait and see anything after that, like is going to be an absolute value on James Conner. The injury laundry list is awfully long. I will say though, you know, he's been dinged up in some of these games. And I know like people kind of hold that against Chris Carson too. Yeah. He only missed five games, but he, he left early in three others or whatever in Connor's five years though, 14 games, 13, 10, 13 and 15. So I just, I'm guessing most people, if you just had to guess how many total games he's played in five years, would probably take the under on what it's actually been. Are you convinced that Eno Benjamin could now be the was a sneaky good handcuff that we should be targeting here over the next few months? We haven't seen him get much of a chance in Arizona, but under Cliff Kingsbury, whether it was Kenyon Drake, Edmonds, James Conner, David Johnson for that one year there together, he's been one of the few coaches in the NFL comfortable enough to give his running back, whoever it is, a legit three down roll. I guess the next man up would be Eno Benjamin for at least now. Yeah, I think he's a guy that, you know, for now, I mean, we'll we'll wait and see. I, I'm not going to get carried away with it because, to your point, they still could easily add right. someone. But, you know, Benjamin is a player that I like, you know, when he was coming out of college. And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury has been complimentary to Eno Benjamin. But really what would speak better to that would be like giving Eno Benjamin some playing time. Actually, usually, um, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't seen that. And even last year, whenever we had some of the injuries, Eno Benjamin really didn't get involved. They did some different things in the backfield. Um, to really help offset, you know, not having Chase Edmonds around. So that's a little bit concerning. But yeah, I think for now, I mean, I wouldn't get over, I wouldn't get carried away, you know, trying to make trades for Eno Benjamin. But low key, yeah, I mean, I think if you can get the right price on him or if you're if you're drafting, you know, right now in best ball and you want to throw a few darts 
late you can. Um, come draft time, if they add another person, obviously we'll have to recalibrate on Benjamin. Eno doesn't turn 23 for a few more weeks still. Keep it in mind, everyone, those later best round uh, drafts. Obviously, the other corresponding impact of the James Conner decision to come back means that Chase Edmonds took his talents to Miami. Two-year, $12.6 million deal. I like Chase Edmonds. He's a fun chess piece. He caught 50 balls the other year. You can put him in the slot out wide. I wouldn't say he's quite Austin Eckler level, but who is? He's, you know, he's a plus receiving back without maybe being an elite uh, receiving back. But my problem with it, Dwayne, is the history of running backs where their original team doesn't bring them back and they instead get big money from another team uh, is terrible. I like what Mike McDaniel is doing in Miami. We'll see if he can fix the offensive line in one year. We'll see how good Tua is. But my God, Edmonds is going to have to be the exception to the rule that we just shouldn't be chasing these free agent running backs that change teams. Largest running back contracts on a new team since 2016. Le'Veon Bell with the Jets. Chris Ivory with the Jaguars. Jarek McKinnon, 49ers. Lamar Miller with the Texans. Deion Lewis, Titans. Melvin Gordon Broncos, Carlos Hyde Browns, Latavius Murray with two separate squads, Mark Ingram with Baltimore, and now Chase Edmonds with the Dolphins. Now, Edmonds, his contract is at the bottom of this. Not every single player I just listed has been a massive miss. Mark Ingram had a great first year with the Ravens. Melvin Gordon, I think Lamar Miller both did some good things uh, for at least a year or two with their uh, respective new squads. But Chase Edmonds, Dwayne, I guess my biggest issue with it is, you know, it's a decent contract, but it's not a big enough contract to ensure any sort of three down role. We've only seen Chase Edmonds have, I believe, five career games with at least 15 carries. He seems like the type of player that probably would be typecast as more of a pure scat back by the NFL. Okay, it might be fun and we can talk about these, you know, chess piece that can be used all over the formation. At the end of the day, those types of players aren't getting enough touches to really warrant top 24 treatment of fantasy. Yeah, I think the positive for Edmonds versus some of the players that you name, you know, he's definitely got more tread left, right, than what some of those guys we talked about um, and where they were from a standpoint of, you know, workloads that they had endured to that point in their career whenever they changed teams. So, and we have seen Edmonds be explosive. In fact, last year he ranked number four in the NFL out of players with at least 100 carries. He had 16% of his carries go for 10 yards or more. So that's his explosive rushing rate. So, we know he's got some juice, but to your point, like he's just never truly handled that much. He's had a few games where he's done it, but overall for the first four seasons has never gotten over 25% of the team's rushing attempts. Could we see, um, you know, Mike McDaniel just completely unleash Chase Edmonds? Like it's, it's Chase Edmonds could do that. Like it's within the range of outcomes for sure. But if all of a sudden like his ADP were to start creeping up and folks wanted to treat him as like the 1A option uh, in Miami, most likely his ADP is going to get to a spot in where I'm not going to really want to partake versus if it stays, you know, say round seven, eight, nine, somewhere in that range. I would even if they added someone else, I would be much more willing to really buy in on Chase Edmonds because then like the way I'm looking at him is RB3 with RB2 upside. And so I would be I would be willing to spend draft capital and upcoming fantasy drafts in that range. But it's not something that I'm going to get carried away with if he just starts shooting up draft boards. And for now, until they add someone else like he's going to he's going to go up. So typically the way I handle a lot of these sorts of things um, is on these news cycles, like whenever their value surges more than what I'm comfortable with, I just stop buying. And eventually you get a down cycle on a lot of these players. So if, say, for example, all of a sudden, you know, the Dolphins turn around and draft a running back. What's going to happen? Chase Edmonds' value is going to drop. At that point, I might be willing to go ahead and grab a few Edmonds shares, depending on who they take in the draft and how early they spend that pick. But my guess is Miami is going to add another player, and most likely it will be in the draft. Maybe bring my guy Duke Johnson back. I don't know. Just saying, uh, Dwayne, I pulled <laughs> up your 2022 rankings. No one killed Dwayne over. The, these were done in January. This is from the article that they have not been updated. So when you see James Conner, RB26, uh, there are several guys, you know, that w w would have moved up and down throughout this. But Dwayne, just kind of, again, big picture idea-ish. We're not going to have our finalized rankings here for a little bit. But kind of looking at where we might be comfortable taking Edmonds, I agree with you. I think it's going to have to be in that RB3 range because because when we see guys like Devin Singletary, Josh Jacobs, Michael Carter, man, even like Miles Sanders, Kareem Hunt, and the Patriots guys, like I just feel like we have a better guarantee and arguably a better offense, maybe not for Michael Carter, but at least for uh, Jacobs and the Patriots, probably a better offense to work with as well. So do you, like Edmonds, probably around like RB30, that's about the spot we're comfortable with him. 
Yeah, that, I, I think that would put him in the right tier, you know, yeah. as far as, you know, when you look at the other guys that are sitting around him. And again, I think he does have upside. Like, it's in his range of outcomes that all And he sudden, should be the pass catcher. That's what we want. Yes, yes. So he already had probably has the role that's one of the harder ones to get. But if you look at the 49ers offense, right, which is where Mike McDaniel comes from, we do expect to see more heavy personnel, probably see a little bit less utilization, right, of the passing down back. Now, things can be a little bit different from team to team. Game scripts matter a lot. But to your point, he should have the passing down role. And I think he does have upside to grow into a bigger role. You just don't want to spend like, you know, that's going to happen, you know, in your draft, in my opinion. In certain places, you want to really buy into, you know, the uncertainty, you know, of backfields. But typically when I'm doing that, I'm going to take the player that's cheaper. Moving right along, the big deal of the day. Christian Kirk, the Jacksonville Jaguars, $84 million is the max contract. Now, we haven't gotten the full details. You might have to win back-to-back MVPs or something ludicrous and able to get there. It does seem like, was it joined $72 million, I believe, is like the non-ridiculous kind of valuation we're getting right, right now. So that puts him really at the top of the list in terms of these high-priced, again, free agent transfers, players that switch teams. In terms of total contracts right now, only DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones uh, are higher in total valuation, which is, uh, you know, I think, actually on a per-year basis. So that's absolutely bonkers. But, yeah, just like running back, just like tight end, just like every position, these players that change teams, it does tend to be a red flag, even when a bunch of money is thrown at them. Kirk now has the largest new contract from a wide receiver that has switched teams in free agency since 2016. Behind him, we had Kenny Galladay with the Giants, Sammy Watkins with the Chiefs, Pierre Garçon with the 49ers, Tyrell Williams with the Raiders. He got hurt. My bad, man. Allen Robinson Bears. Paul Richardson, Washington, also got hurt. Marvin Jones with the Lions. Uh, Robert Woods with the Rams. Obviously had some great years for he got hurt golden tate with the giants and Corey davis with the jets verdict still a bit out there so it's not that these guys can't produce but man when you got to switch quarterbacks when you're now going to a different organization with a new pecking order it just doesn't seem to work out more times than not so Dwayne kirk i think we all like it like he's this quality number two receiver i think you'd probably feel better about him if he was you know i kind of treat, i kind of treat him like michael gallup i think he can be your number two receiver you probably feel a little bit better about him as your number three but man when they're paying him this amount of money it seems like he should be the one but my god Dwayne it's just trying to figure this out in fantasy is so tough because we saw Trevor Lawrence last year that was terrible Marvin Jones is still there Robinson ETN I don't think they're necessarily done adding to the wide receiver room you know I don't want to just completely repeat the Edmonds analysis but I think it's almost similar like as a low-end you know wide receiver three maybe probably a little bit lower valuation to Edmonds, but around that wide receiver 36 range, okay, I'd be fine uh, getting in on the Kirk race. But if we're going to see people treating his contract as a big-time tell that he's all of a sudden going to be force-fed targets and we start talking wide receiver two range, I'm not denying he has that upside. I will probably not be buying him at that price tag. Yeah, I think that that wide receiver three range, I think, is fine, you know, depending on what else happens as far as, you know, the acquisitions that the Jaguars make in the passing game. But I mean, looking at Kirk, I mean, he's only going to he's only going to be 25 years old. So he's one of the younger talents available, which probably helped him from a contract standpoint as far as the free agents go. Um, they had this, you know, if you look at all the free agents at receivers, he had and this is even back when we had, you know, Godwin still in the pool, Devontae Adams in the pool. But he had the seventh highest pro football focus receiving grade of 72.7, third best target share at 18 percent and fifth best yards per route yards per route run at 1.81. So, I mean, there are some definitely some things to like, but to your point, I I like thinking of Christian Kirk more as a second or third option, um, not necessarily the lead option, but having said that, I mean, it could be a situation. Look back at Doug Peterson, look at a lot of the offenses that he's really been over. He hasn't had an alpha receiver. He's really been more of a spread it around 18 to 20% across two or three guys. No true one target hog, you know, at 25, 30%. Now that has to come back to the receivers who earns the targets, who gets open, all those sort of things. But it could just be really more of a spread it around across three guys. No one really stepping, you know, forward and just becoming like a target hog of any sort, like what some of us may be looking for. So I've seen a lot of the people, you know, kind of mocking the contract saying, oh, you paid $84 million for a slot receiver and 
Kirk has played in the slot and out wide during his time at Cardinals. He's not, you know, someone that like only stays in the slot for the entirety um, of every single game or anything. With that said, certainly did see his production take a nice boom when he was working from the friendly confines of the slot. 91.9 PFF receiving grade, 4.77 yards for outrun, and 121.8 QB rating when targeted on you know, when he was aligned in the slot, when he was aligned out wide, drops all the way to 62.1 PFF receiving grade, 1.16 yards per out run, 87.3 QB rating when targeted. I would note that the, you know, the averages are higher for players out of the slot than out wide, just naturally. Every single player uh, is just harder for defenses to guard him. You have more room to work with and everything, but it has been more extreme for Kirk um, out, out in the slot. I will say as a rookie, you know, I'm going to pull some foam up here for you guys watching either live or on YouTube. He did do some good things outside. Like, I don't think he's incapable but obviously if you want to get the most out of him whoops wrong thing if you want to get the most out of him i just think uh you know you're gonna be better off using him in the slot the problem Dwayne, is that maybe lavisca chanel is still in the slot you know we always make a joke kind of out of oh you know lavisca needs uh, all these guys now to get injured in order to cash in can definitely add Kirk to that list, but I'm just wondering, man, like, do you think Visca is valuable enough to Jaguars still to force Kirk to play where he's not most comfortable? Oh man, I think that's a great question. But my, my thought is if you're going to pay Kirk all this money, like I would put him where he's going to be the most uh, beneficial to the team, <laughs> which I mean, obviously he's played well in the slot. I think the other thing to remember with Kirk is it's, it's not like this is the first time, you know, where he's really going to be in a situation where he's not behind like a big name receiver. I mean, last year, DeAndre Hopkins was out for a good stretch. Now, you also had Kyler Murray battling through an injury, missing games as well during some of that, you know, which obviously impacted Kirk, you know, playing with McCoy rather than playing with Kyler Murray. But I don't think we can look at this as a situation of being, wow, this is a guy that's just been in a shadow like his whole career. And now it's his first chance to break out. <laughs> Like, like he's he's had some opportunities and he's not been bad with them, right? No. It's earned him this contract. He's been good, but I wouldn't say he's been great. Triple digit targets last year. Again, it just comes down to like, you know, Kyler Murray, you guys, any, any sort of like Kyler Murray being a running back talk is absolutely ridiculous. You look at his passing numbers against anyone. The guy's a top 12 quarterback, basically any metric you want to pull up. Trevor Lawrence, I would hope he gets better because if he doesn't, triple digit targets from him aren't going to produce all that much. 32nd among 44 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade last year, 40th in yards per attempt, 34th in adjusted completion rate. Hopefully adding guys like Kirk, you know, help improve Lawrence. Good for good for the Jaguars for trying to get him some other weapons. Probably, you know, I think definitely overpaid to do so. Uh, hopefully, you know, at a minimum makes their franchise quarterback. Max, max value. We have the details on the deal now. Max value of the contracts, 84 million, uh, 20 million of it is a signing bonus. His salaries over these four years will be one and a half million, fifteen and a half million, fourteen and a half million, fifteen point five million. He'll have uh, roster bonuses of five hundred k, workout bonuses five hundred k, annual incentives three million, and a twenty twenty four roster bonus of one mil. So a lot of it really is the salary. This is all coming from Field Yates on Twitter. Okay. Might be one of those two when we look a little bit closer and you can get out of it after a couple of years, as is always the case. But at a minimum, twenty twenty two, good for Christian Kirk getting paid couple other deals that came down today. None of these I don't think we have to devote as much time to as the first uh, couple topics. But Braxton Berrios is back on a two-year, $12 million deal with the Jets. We're going to have Elijah Moore starting as one outside receiver. Corey Davis as the other. Maybe, just maybe, Dwayne Berrios is in the slot. Now, I don't want to just make the mistake of comping, you know, one white slot receiver to another white slot receiver. With that said, doesn't this remind you a little bit of the Raiders situation going into last year with Renfro, where everyone was just, you know, looking at rugs and brian Edwards and the things they could do on the outside where if you look a little bit closer we saw zach wilson this offense even in the post gase era continue to pepper the slot for extended stretches like i'm not recommending putting barrios ahead of moore or davis or anything but man if we can make it through the rest of free agency in the draft barrios and still projecting to be a starting slot receiver he might not be a bad guy to draft at the end of full ppr sites because as much i think we have this like fallacy in our minds about what ups Upside really is like upside and full PPR scoring is someone catching 10 balls for 100 yards. We'll take that over the guy that only needs five catches to get there because it's just more points. It's stupid the way it works. I don't support getting an entire point for just catching the ball, but it's the game we play. So Braxton Berrios, late round darling, perhaps, Dwayne, or am I just getting too hyped up on the first day of free agency? 
Well, I mean, you're always hyped up, Ian. But That's true. <laughs> here, here's my thought. This is what I would watch on the Braxton Berrios thing. Let's see what the Jets do. Do they add tight ends? Do they add a fullback? Yeah. Because if they don't, if they don't, and and the hand you know tip that they give us is they probably are going to use more eleven personnel. Because I mean, you know, think about this. Like this is an offense that's really you know comes from the just like what we were just talking about with the Dolphins. It really comes from the 49er style of offense, which is typically more heavy formations. Now, again, game scripts have a lot to do with it. When you're trailing all the time, you're going to have more receivers on the field no matter what. Um, but whenever you look at the way that the Jets are currently set up, they just don't have a lot of tight ends. They don't have a fullback. So it may just make the most sense for them to really use 11 personnel more. And Braxton Berrios, man, has been really good when he's been on the field. So if you look at him in 2020, targets per route run, 29% last year, 23%. So this is a player that, you know, when you put him in the slot, you let him get the two way release. You let him work against guys that, you know, just don't have the same quickness as him. Um, and often it's against a zone. It could be against a linebacker against a safety. Like he knows how to take care, take advantage of, you know, those situations. Again, it's going to be the jets offense. We need to see maturation from the quarterback. There's a lot of ifs, but Barrios can do his part. I'm pretty confident of that. Like if he was given a role where he got to play full time from the slot and a team that ran 11 personnel, 75 to 80% of the time with a quarterback that could get the ball out on time, get the ball to him. I'm pretty sure Barrios could be a functional wide receiver in fantasy football in the top in the top 36 receivers. I think he could do it. Didn't he was just a first team all pro as a returner. This is not like this, you know, it's not like he can't get yak. This is a, an ex explosive slot receiver. And we actually saw at the end of last year, like when Moore and Davis were out of the picture, like when he had the week 17 performance, I think he finished as the overall, was it wide receiver one maybe? Or at least I think it was wide receiver <laughs> It was five. really high. I'll have to look. It was, it was a really top five high. performance <laughs> in part because he went 865-1 as a receiver. And they also gave him like a reverse that I believe was supposed to be a pass. And he took off yes. and ran it in for a touchdown. So it would make sense if Elijah Moore or a player to be named later is the one getting these design touches. But at a minimum, we've seen Barrios play good ball in opportunities, limited opportunities, and now he's got the deal at least locking him down for two more years. So He had a wide receiver yeah. five finish in PPR. Yeah, in week one, 17. Won some people some championships, I am sure. So just keep an eye on that Braxton Barrios point. But uh, that's a great call, particularly, you know, with uh, still looking at the Jets as a bit of a, you know, Shanahan-based system. Uh, we know how much, uh, you know, his just fullback uses over the years has rendered their number three receiver pretty irrelevant. So good point there, Dwayne. Last couple things here. Jeff Swaim is back with the Titans on a one-year deal. Anthony Ferkser and Michael Pruitt still um, unrestricted free agents. I would guess this is going to be another tight end committee. We're going to talk about Mo Ali Cox uh, and Will Disley here in a little bit. When you get into three-year deal, you know, in excess of $15 million total, like that's a situation where I'd be more comfortable saying, oh, maybe they're going to take a step forward in this offense. That's a lot of money to be giving someone. Just one year to Swaim, though, certainly seems like they're setting up to again be another tight end committee titans were the most run heavy offense in the league last year just you know every single play so look with that in mind i just think you know expecting anyone other than aj brown to be a high-end fancy asset probably wishful thinking Dwayne, probably the biggest real life takeaway uh from free agency so far other than the jaguars really going out and spending was what the Bengals did to improve their offensive line uh you know we've all seen the freaking meme a million times like people were trying like the Bengals make the freaking super bowl behind jamar chase and large part and people are still trying to dangle that thing out there like the pick wasn't a success anyway it does look like the Bengals have you know decided to really try to improve the offensive line this offseason and thank god for joe burrow's sake yeah absolutely i mean looking at what joe burrow did last year what the Bengals' offense did really despite all of the sacks that they took because those are usually big drive killers and the, the Bengals were able to overcome that now would they have been able to sustain that another year the same way I don't know. It might have just been more of an anomaly. So you like to see the moves that they're making on the offensive line. Obviously, whenever you've got a franchise quarterback, you want to protect them. And so they're headed in the right direction with that. So I think these are very positive things. These aren't like top level elite, elite players, but these are really good players from a pass blocking and run blocking standpoint. You know, Kappa graded out as a 71.4 pass blocking. That's 22nd with a minimum 250 uh, reps. I remember you got two guards starting on every team and most teams don't even have two guards that are good enough to start. So anyway, you can take these rankings and you can kind of use that as your context, but 76.9 for Ted Karras pass block, which was ninth 
um, and PFF grade. So yeah, I think they're both, they're, they're obviously both upgrades from where they were. And it's not just about having all superstars right on your offensive line. It's just about, you're only as good as your weakest link a lot of the time. And so that's what the most encouraging thing about these two signings for me are with the Bengals. If they keep all these guys healthy, they get them working together, get everything meshing. It could be a situation where we just don't have to deal with the weakest link. I did see a good tweet from somebody. Oh, here we go. Uh, shout out Jay Morrison over at The Athletic. Look at this, Dwayne. How freaking similar the Christian Kirk, Tyler Boyd numbers are. They both have 2000, exactly 2,902 receiving yards uh, You know, in their first four years in the league. 15 versus 17 touchdowns. The drops are one away. Even the receptions and targets are close, too. Tyler Boyd making $10 million a year. Go get paid go play nfl if you're a kid for some reason listening to this podcast and you're playing cornerback go learn how to catch the ball that's where you're getting paid these days after the Bengals, we got a couple tight end news before we touch on some things that went on sunday will disley back to the seahawks three years 24 million Dwayne, i know he was banged up last year but like gerald everett by the end of the year was just completely you know had overtaken disley as the Seahawks every down tight end I mean, you traded for Noah Fant. Clearly, like clearly, that seems like it wasn't as big of a deal to them at this point. If you're bring back Disley, we say this a lot in the podcast. When you have more than one real life tight end consistently involved in your offense, it's really tough to even get one fancy relevant option. Do you think this is a death blow to Noah Fant, or should we maybe chill out and just hope for a lot of two tight end sets? I think we have to chill out just because I think, you know, we saw last year the way they wanted to use Disley, and I think Noah Fant's an upgrade over Gerald Everett. Right. So with Gerald Everett, like he was pretty much the main guy on the passing downs. Now, you got to kind of dismiss the early part of the season because both guys were in and out of the lineup. But if you look at like week 10, basically on for the Seahawks, um, both of the guys were pretty much healthy throughout those weeks. Still a few little nicks in here and there. But you saw Gerald Everett actually out there for 74 percent um, of the passing plays. He was in a route. Right. Versus you had Will Disley only reaching 40 percent one time in those 10 weeks. And honestly, a lot of those times that comes down to whenever they're playing in a game where they're trying to mix things up more because they're keeping it close, you know, and they're using more 12 personnel, things like that. So it wasn't really coming at the expense of, um, you know, Gerald Everett. Now, would we have rather seen this not happen? Yeah, because we were hoping for like 90% routes run per drop back for no fan. Right. And he could he could set a career high in that uh, in that category, which typically when you get to 80%, if you have the talent that you see with Fant, I know Tyler Higby is the exception, Ian. Typically when you get to 80% routes per drop back, you know, you have a really good shot at being a top six tight end, regardless of how good your offense is. So I was excited about Fant this year. Um, obviously, you still got Tyler Lockett, still got DK Metcalf. So there are other obstacles to overcome as well. So I think this does take off a little bit of the upside. Um, but if it depresses his ADP a little bit, like I'll take it. Like yeah. that's what I would actually like to see is if it depresses that ADP a little bit, because I think there's still a good chance that Fant hits the 80%, 85% mark, even with Disley back. But obviously there's a little bit more risk now with Fant. He could be stuck more around that 70 to 75% mark. I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal as playing with Albert O because Albert O was really much a much better receiver really than Will Disley. So he was much more likely to get on the field and actually still routes, whereas Disley, a lot of his work could still come in the run block. You could argue that the process last year on Gerald Everett as like the prime late round fantasy tight end was right because he was like getting the every down roll by like week three. Unfortunately, he got COVID and then it was a kind of a elongated stretch of like four or five weeks. And then Russ got hurt and things weren't going great either. But he did flash that kind of every week tight end one potential. Obviously, it sucks that, uh, you know, we don't have uh, exactly Russell Wilson there anymore to help <laughs> out the Seattle tight end. Small downgrade going on there, uh, but maybe just maybe Drew Locke can, you know, at least coexist in that moment between getting the snap and dumping the ball a couple yards down the field. Mo Alleycox, three years, 18 million. Jack Doyle did retire. They do have their uh, fourth round pick from 2021, Kylan Granson. He was always basically out there. Not it wasn't quite a three-way committee at tight end. It would be kind of like Doyle playing, you know, 50, 60 percent of the snaps, Moali Cox, maybe closer to 30, 40, and Granson was like kind of a distant third option. Wouldn't be shocked though if he does, you know, take a nice bump ahead in year two. We almost never see rookie tight ends do much of anything. It makes sense. You got to come in and be a high-end blocker and receiver in year one. That's tough business. So, Dwayne, are you drinking the Kool-Aid here with Mo Alley Cox? Because we've seen the guy, man. When he gets targets, he makes good use out of them. Unfortunately, we don't know who the quarterback is and just the history of Frank Reich, man, usually involves uh, 
using multiple tight ends in his offense. Yeah, I mean, both these last two tight ends, you know, whether it's Fant, Disley, or Mo Cox, like the quarterback situation is a complete unknown. So, I mean, if Deshaun Watson lands in one of these places and he's actually, you know, setting all legal things aside, just talking fantasy football, like obviously that is great for wherever he lands. Um, for Mo Cox, like the way I'm looking at him right now, like I, I'm with you, I expect him to be the lead tight end on the Colts this year, but this is also – um, historically an offense with Frank Reich, who also comes from Doug Peterson, who's also done the same thing. Um, they like to rotate their tight ends. And I think at this point, it's not like Mo Ali Cox has, you know, he's not like brand new to this team. He's been around long enough that I really wish they would have been able to carve out more of a role than what we've seen. So I think this is one of the those where I'm going to be willing to spend, you know, a late pick, you know, on Mo Ali Cox, you know, I'm willing to go ahead and give him a shot, especially in like tight end premium leagues. 20 round drafts, like at the FFPC, things like that. Um, but otherwise, it'd probably just be somebody I leave alone, leave out there on the waiver wire um, until you maybe see more from him, you know, early in the season. I hope he's like outside the top 20 again. He was one of my favorite kind of after I finally got over my, uh, you know, Chris Herndon period of my life. I was going after Mo Alley Cox <laughs> a lot um, in the later rounds of best ball drafts last year. When you take uh, Jack Doyle out of the equation, you can at least kind of wrap your mind around him being slightly more productive. Um, also, just shout out to one of my favorite Twitter accounts, uh, Jetpack Galileo. He's noticed like I do how freaking big Mo Alley Cox is on the field uh, and then takes it to the next level and uh, photoshops him looking absolutely massive so i do enjoy uh that ongoing twitter bit out of him Dwayne, we did have a couple uh news items break since we got on the podcast the dolphins have signed the cowboys receiver cedric wilson to a three-year 22.8 million dollar contract cedric uh, filled in pretty nicely for the cowboys last year as their number four receiver whether it was cooper um cd lamb or michael gallup was out wilson will kind of step in play wherever needed Dude also has a cannon for an arm. They used him a couple times on reverses, and he had some very nice throws downfield. But, Dwayne, it was one year, man. He was never exactly, you know, the feature point of what I think defenses were looking to take away. And he now enters a Dolphins offense where, you know, when I was writing up about Mike Tosicki getting the franchise tag, one of my big takeaways was like, okay, we got Waddle. We seemingly have Devontae Parker if the season started tomorrow. He's not a free agent or anything. And we now got Mike Tosicki with eight figures worth of reasons why to get him more involved in the offense. Cedric Wilson should probably be projected to be this offense's number four pass game option. And the Miami Dolphins passing game isn't the sort of unit that I want to be investing in their fourth option. Yeah. And I mean, so this is really interesting because it's like, uh, again, another offense, you know, we talked about it earlier. What kind of offense are they going to run? I mean, are they going to run a lot of 11 personnel? And if they do, like, because Cedric Wilson's mostly operated from the slot, not that he can't play outside, but that's really where Waddle played from last year. It's also where Mike, Mike Gasicki lines up. So, like, <laughs> who's playing inside, who's playing outside? And it may just be a real rotation. But I think there's there's a lot more risk starting to bake in with all of the pass catchers, in my opinion, outside of Waddle. Um, because I do believe they'll keep him on the field all the time. But for the Dolphins, just not knowing like which guys are going to play outside, which guys are going to play inside, how much are they even going to use 11 personnel versus 12 and 21. Again, like the Jets, we'll have to watch. We'll see. They've got plenty of tight ends, though. You know, they've got, they've got Gasecki, they've got Shaheen. They drafted Hunter Long in the third round. So they'll probably use 12 personnel. Um, but if it's a situation where, you know, Mike McDaniel is going to run a very similar offense to Kyle Shanahan, we're going to see plenty of that 12 package. And that means one of these guys is getting bumped off the field, or you just create some sort of all around rotation across all of them, which we really don't want to see. So yeah, I'm with you. Not going to be very high on Cedric Wilson um, or really anybody in the Dolphins um, offense from a passing perspective outside of Jalen Waddle. I was waiting for the like, wait outside of Waddle, right? Okay. You got it. Uh, with Wilson. <laughs> yeah, we're, 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 we're never giving up on Waddle. <laughs> What was interesting about Wilson, I mentioned now he was like the backup for every Cowboys receiver, but the thing was like he would always go into the slots. Like there were periods where the Cowboys were trying to use CeeDee Lamb as their full-time slot receiver. Then Michael Gallup got hurt. And instead of, you know, asking Wilson to go play Michael Gallup's role, they actually bumped CeeDee back to the outside so Wilson could go back into the slot. Overall, 500 of his 589 snaps came from the slot. Like, yeah, Dwayne, like it's we shouldn't assume he can't work from the outside. 
side. But again, based on the Cowboys having all those injuries all over the formation and not feeling confident enough to kind of put Wilson in on the outside for any extended stretch of time, uh, I'm not going to be really betting on him to put up big numbers in Miami by any stretch. How, I guess, because now the Cowboys obviously have a pretty big hole at the number three wide receiver spot. We'll have CD and Gallup. How would your projection of CD Lamb change if we can kind of fill him in the slot versus on the outside? Because yeah, to one point, you know, we've talked, you've talked at length about CeeDee Lamb not getting as high of, of route numbers as we'd want, but man, like he's just been dominant out of the slot during his career. I feel like if they could add, you know, a Chris Olave type weapon on the outside, get CD in the slot. I'd probably be higher on him than if they did take the trendy Trayvon Burks and maybe have to use him in the slot and put CD back on the outside. We saw in the playoff game, man, it sure seems like Dak is more confident and the offense is calling for more passes to the inside guys over the middle than consistently looking outside. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they're going to move CD Lamb all over the place. <laughs> That's what I think. I think he's going to play inside uh, when they can. I think he'll play outside when they're in 12 or if they happen to have a fullback and they use 21. I think it's just going to be Lamb, you know, all over the place. And and it does really, to me, just go back to the fact that we just, we haven't seen Lamb, um, you know, get to have a 90% route run per drop back season, you know, like what you were talking about. So if you look at the history since 2011, the average top 24 fantasy receivers in a route, 86% of dropbacks, 55% of them eclipse the, eclipse the 90% mark. And that was with me um, removing the guys that miss games due to injury. So these are just the players that actually got to stay on the field all the time. So think about it. CD Lamb's already had two top 24 uh, fantasy, you know, wide receiving seasons and PPR format. And he has, any, he's been 9% under the 80%, 86% that we typically see a top 24 wide receiver see. So I think that's still my biggest takeaway for Lamb is we're just going to get a shot at, you know, him being on the field 85 to 90% plus of the plays. If you just take that alone and you multiply it by, you know, the drop back volume that we expect to see from the Cowboys, I mean, you're going to see anywhere from an extra 15 to an extra 30 targets. Quick. That's without him improving his targets per route run. That's just getting more routes. So if he also takes a step forward and just becomes a true alpha beast, like Lamb's going to go nuts. Top five wide receiver. Real life dynasty, however you want to call it. Finally, just had some nice news break. Defensive side of the ball, but my God, the Chargers are getting loaded. J.C. Jackson, five-year, $82.5 million deal with $40 million guaranteed. Former Patriots cornerback now joining that Chargers defense that is looking more loaded than ever. And apparently, Derwin James and J.C. Jackson were high school teammates. Shout out to Ari at My Sports Update uh, for that info. Final thing was Teddy Bridgewater has signed on to be the backup quarterback in Miami uh, behind Tua. You know, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good good uh, backup Doug. Teddy oh, that's, a, that's great they have a lot great. of slot receivers now Teddy likes to throw underneath the slot receivers dude Teddy should be a backup till he's like 45 years old that guy <laughs> will just always be a top 30 35 quarterback he's not, no you don't want your franchise like trusting him forever but look he filled in fantastic with the Saints I mean he's been in so many different offenses and it's not like he's been terrible we just wanted more out of it I mean, like, Chase Daniels the true goat of all time backup quarterback <laughs> he never has to play and he's like I think I saw something on his like he'd made like over 80 million or something like that of an NFL contract. So Teddy hasn't quite accomplished that without even playing, but yeah, I I agree with you. I think, you know, he is a guy that, you know, can come in, your offense can be functional. Um, You know, we like to think that Teddy doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but last year we really did see more like the big time (laughs) throw and the turnover worthy plays started to get a little bit close together, closer together. And what you really want to see, you know, with, you know, your backup quarterback, but yeah, he's he's if you look at all the quarterbacks in the NFL, like he's gonna be one of the better backups. And yeah, 100%. Chase Daniel, the real life Alex Moran, no doubt about that. All right, everyone, before we get to some more news that kind of broke over the weekend, want to give a quick shout out to some of our sponsors. First off, how about our friends over at Manscaped? Can I get a round of applause, everyone? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection. Believe it or not, it's not, it's for your not so private parts. I'm talking a leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all in one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Literally, Manscaped is 
trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. All you got to do is use code PFF. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. Lip balm, deodorant, hydrating body moisturizer, all that and so much more. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. Also, shout out to our friends at over at All22, unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees, including myself, have already been playing. All22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line included. If you ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All22, basically a better version than that old like Madden be your, the coach video game. Why didn't they just make that a game mode in the game to actually make that its own individual game just a wild year in 2008 or whatever but anyway join ian one answer money it's always freaking money Dwayne. join the wait list at all-22.com with nothing more than your email if you join the wait list before the nfl draft you'll receive a special promo code for your all 22 subscription waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural there we go ian draft guides and season strategies feature release announcements and more be sure to follow all 22 underscore pff on twitter all 22 I hate their motto, man. Less fantasy, more football. It's more fantasy and more football. That's all it should be. More fantasy, more football. That's great. It's positive. I don't like putting fantasy down. So I love you all 22. Change your freaking motto or I'll keep changing it for you. And finally, right now you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code fantasy. What you can get with the PFF sub, all of our locked article content, our NFL draft guide, completely unlocked mock draft simulator, 2022 free agent rankings with plenty of new information coming each and every moment of the day. You can check out the free agency tracker actually for free that myself, Dwayne, and Nathan Yonke are, are uh, updating throughout the week. Also data and grades from the entire 2021 season. All that and much more. Support the podcast. Use promo code fantasy for 25% off any sub no let's get back to the show Dwayne I was chilling on Sunday minding my own damn business got about five six thousand words done with the free agency tracker I was feeling good I was ready to crack open that beer and relax I I still cracked open the beer but then Tom Brady had to unretire and hijack (laughs) the entire afternoon away from all of us so you know not the biggest surprise in the world. It was funny, like, seeing the amount of victory laps. Like, oh, I called this. Like, I knew he wasn't retired. Yeah, I think we all kind of had that uh, go through our mind. But whatever, he's back. I don't think any of us saw a drop-off in performance, you know, in 2021, particularly not in the arm strength department. Last throw we made, as we remember, was that dime deep over Jalen Ramsey to Mike Evans for a game-tying touchdown. Unfortunately, Stafford had to, you know, go and rip out the hearts of Tampa Bay Nation. But anyway, Dwayne, is it as simple as running back, kind of the same strategy as last year? Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, top 15 at least. Maybe if we get some, you know, more health assurance for Godwin with Antonio Brown out of the picture, you can argue these guys can be top 10 wide receivers. Now we don't have to worry about, you know, the target volume quite as much. Rob Gronkowski still has not committed to coming back, but I think we're all kind of expecting that to happen. Once again, he looked better in 2021. They did in 2020, particularly before he suffered that nasty uh, rib injury earlier in the year. And then Leonard Fournette, who we can kind of get to at the end, because some of you are out there trying to mock me on the old Twitter sphere. He would be a first round RB and he has proven that you can laugh all you want. This dude had five fewer receptions than Najee Harris on the entire season and three less games. It he is. The fantasy-friendly role that Fournette has in Tampa Bay is arguably better than anyone outside of Christian McCaffrey. You could even make an argument that he is rivaling Christian McCaffrey in terms of pure volume. And yeah, I think coming back to the reigning number two like scoring offense is probably a good thing for our fantasy running back. So, Dwayne, any sort of hesitations and just, again, firing back up the NFL's number two scoring offense as exactly that? No. <laughs> No, Tom Brady's, right, leading, Tom Brady's <laughs> leading the offense. I'm in. Um, obviously, they've lost. Uh, you know, they've got some challenges on the offensive line, but you know, they've still got a good core of offensive linemen. And Brady gets rid of the ball really quickly. We know the quarterbacks um, are partial owners, right, of pressure rates and sack rates. So I, I still feel good about them. And to your point, like not having Antonio Brown there, let's see what else they do. Who else they may add? But if it's just Evans and Godwin, we'll see what happens with Gronk. But if it's Evans and Godwin and no Gronk, oh man, like that's even, that's really big for Evans and Godwin. If you add Gronk, still okay. Um, and yeah, as far as Fournette, you know, if he's back, like, wow. Um, it's crazy what he did last year. I mean, if you look at the PPR ranks where he had a, he had a two, a one, a five, a six, these are his finishes. 
Um, so, I mean, not just not just great finish, not just good finishes where he's typically inside the top 15 every week. He also gives you those really big boom weeks. Um, and we know Ronald Jones is a free agent, so it's most likely going to be just Fournette's backfield with Keyshawn Vaughn backing him up. All wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends. Lenny was eighth in PPR points per game. So, yeah, he is going to be in first-round consideration. Would I love to get him at the top of round two instead? Absolutely. But first, you know, he has to come back to Tampa Bay in the first place, so we'll put that off. Dwayne, I know, I, I believe last year Tom Brady was like your highest exposure quarterback in all of fantasy. Um, if you weren't able to get some of the top guys, you were happy to scoop him up. Does QB6 sound about right for him ahead of next year? That's where you had him kind of when January came around. Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson. I think all those guys, you know, with the extra juice they can offer on the ground, in addition to the highlights through the air, they deserve the nod over Brady. But ranking them below QB6, maybe if you wanted to, you know, put your foot down on Joe Burrow taking a step forward. But I don't know, man. Tampa Bay has already proven to have that pass game volume that we're hoping a lot of these other guys are going to have. He can't run, but my God, if he's going to throw for 5,000 yards and 40-plus touchdowns, he doesn't really need to. Yeah, and that's the difference. We know that the Bucks are a pass-first offense. We saw the Bengals start to move that way, and they could very much be that next season. Um, but we don't know it for sure. Like, we know with Brady at the helm, and we know with Bruce Arians, there's going to be plenty of passing in Tampa. They could be, they could lead the league in passing attempts. Um, whereas with Cincinnati, obviously, Burrow's a great talent. You have three great weapons you know in the passing game that you can put around them offensive line is improving so i wouldn't like be against it if someone was like now nah, i'm just going to go ahead and take burrow but the thing is like burrow doesn't doesn't run just like brady so does really burrow offer you more upside in a big season than brady i i mean i would argue probably not and you're getting a more consistent player you know with brady um that we've just seen longer and again we just know the offense better so i would i would still lean to brady but i'm not going to get like it's not something i would be super upset with like burrow's a great player so if somebody wants to take burrow over brady i get it I, i'll probably have him in the same tier but i'm going to lean to brady um, when it's my choice other big news involves the cowboys and the browns we kind of already broke down the cowboys offense you know with cedric wilson leaving but Obviously, the other big news was Amari Cooper got traded to the Browns in return for a fifth-round pick. I also believe they swapped six-rounders in the deal, and the Browns accordingly released Jarvis Landry um, today as well. So there's been some murmurs out there that they've you know been talking about potentially trading Baker Mayfield. Obviously, if Deshaun Watson gets sent to Cleveland, that would up you know the potential of everyone involved in the offense. But Dwayne, we have Amari Cooper there. We have Donovan Peoples-Jones probably just going to be in that, you know, field-stretching role, you know, any sort of hopes of him having an expanded job, I think, are out the window. We know it's an offense that's also going to be heavily utilizing the tight ends. Do you think Amari Cooper deserves a boost in value in Cleveland or a subtraction? Because, yeah, he is the more featured receiver, but I think with the difference, you know, this is one of those things that we've talked about in the year. Like, just because a guy might have the same target share as someone else, we do need to keep in mind with offenses like Philly, like Cleveland, the most run-heavy groups in the league, you know, 25% of targets in, in Cleveland isn't exactly the same as 25% in Dallas. Yeah, and the challenge for Cooper, right, is he's, he's never put up one of those truly big target share years, you know. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, he's really been in situations where he he was the alpha. Like, I say he was the alpha. you got to earn, like, being the alpha. But he, he technically could have been, right? He really could have been that guy, and he just never was able to take that step uh, and do it. So, I mean, that concerns me, you know, with Cooper. So, in an offense where they could really try to funnel things to him, it, which could help offset some of the volume that you're going to lose in the passing game, to your point, because they like to run the ball so much. My concern for Amari is that if he gets stuck around that 20% target share number, which he hasn't really been able to get over in his career, even if you adjust for games miss, his career 20%, 21%, 18%, 21%, 19%. 20% and then last year 17% and even his targets per route run are always right around 20%. So I think Amari Cooper is who he is. Um, don't know that you're really going to see a situation where he would jump to 25 or 30%. And now we've got an offense that's going to throw the ball less. I think it's a downgrade for Cooper when you also factor in that Baker Mayfield is not as good as Dak Prescott. 
We'll see. There's a quarterback upgrade coming. But, you know, Girl Scout gun to my head. I do think that uh, Baker probably is starting for the Browns in week one. Cooper remains just 27 or 22 years old, depending on who you want to ask about it. All right. Bills re-signed Isaiah McKenzie. In the league 15 years at 27 years old. It's crazy. <laughs> crazy, man. The actual stat, though, like where him and Ridley are the same age but never overlapped at Bama, that, that, that is you know objectively bonkers. If you it is. But the Buffalo Bills, they re-signed Isaiah McKenzie to a two-year, $8 million deal. This is really, Dwayne, uh, I think a similar conversation as we just had about Braxton Berrios. Obviously a much you know, better offense that we'll want to invest in with the Buffalo Bills versus the Jets. But McKenzie, I don't know that $8 million over two years is necessarily you know, going to guarantee him a starting spot, particularly if Cole Beasley winds up coming back. Now the Bills have been giving Beasley you know, an opportunity to uh, request a trade or find a partner, but you got to look at McKenzie. He's had the two extended performances over the past two years. He's been fantastic. Six catches, 65 yards, and two scores in Week 17 and 2020. And then last year against the Patriots in a big game for Buffalo. I believe it was Week 15 or Week 16. 11 catches, 125 yards. Many of them were clutch and one touchdown um, at the end of the game. So yeah, I'm not sure if it was at the end. But either way, big performance. Now, Dwayne, throughout the playoffs, like we were talking about McKenzie versus Cole Beasley, and we were kind of expecting McKenzie – to just take over that job. Like he was just more explosive. It seemed like Beasley was playing banged up throughout a lot of the year. Um, that didn't end up being the case though. We did see McKenzie, you know, kind of reduce Beasley from a full-time player to more of a split player alongside McKenzie himself. But yeah, that's we could have that situation happen again, which is not going to work out for either guy where they're splitting reps with Gabriel Davis and Stefan Diggs starting on the outside. And hell, they could even add someone else. So I know the fantasy community community has been infatuated with uh, Isaiah McKenzie, but we're going to need to see Beasley get out of the picture. And then we're also going to need them not to add anybody else, I think, for us to feel any amount of you know goodness about McKenzie as what? More than like a wide receiver four? Yeah, I mean, look, if Beasley leaves... Like I now we're, now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in on McKenzie because like, he really is the guy that can play that role underneath. Gabriel Davis isn't going to do it. Stefan Diggs is really going to work all levels of the field, but a lot of time in the intermediate, you know, comeback routes, curls, things like that. So McKenzie is the guy that can get open in space or he can just outrun a defender, like on these little drag routes and things like that underneath Josh, you know, Allen can buy time, get the ball to him even late. Right. And then all of a sudden you have a mismatch situation out in space. So um, with McKenzie, you know, if, if we don't see, you know, Cole Beasley gone, then yeah, it's really tough. Like if you're, if you're in like a, super deep best ball league, you know, where some of these where you're drafting through round 25, things like that, then maybe you take a shot on Isaiah McKenzie, but otherwise you're not really going to be drafting him unless Cole Beasley is gone. And if Beasley's gone, like, man, he has, he has that wide receiver three potential if Beasley's out. Beasley does like matter in this equation. I know people love to just kind of, you don't need to be a fan of Beasley and everything he's done real life and all that. But I think people like hold that a little bit too much against him and fantasy football. We are trying to win fantasy championships, not win a popularity uh, contest here. Dwayne, I, I made a joke on a, I think it was a Jenna Lane, the ESPN reporter sent a tweet about one of the Buccaneers offensive linemen, like playing with wanting to play with a broken leg in the playoffs. And I was like, ah, some Greg Jennings shit. And someone else brought up like, Good point. It's funny how Greg Jennings is the one we go to when T.O. was the one that actually did it. But it's like, Cole Beasley played on a broken leg two years ago. I thought I'd bring it up. And, of course, when you bring that up, you get a bunch of people start talking about vaccines uh, when we were trying to just, you know, <laughs> talk a little ball. So just You're just trying that. to talk about, talk about broken legs and people start talking about vaccines. Dude, it is ridiculous, but I really think people are maybe going to be overhyping Isaiah McKenzie out of a hatred for Cole Beasley. So just something to remember where Cole Beasley, you might not like the guy. He's still pretty damn damn good NFL receiver and he's gonna you know be an influence for Isaiah McKenzie's playing time and that's all I have to say about that matter because I just like talking football Cardinals re-signed Zach Ertz to a three-year 31.6 million deal I mean we talked about this kind of lead up to free agency Dwayne but no team had more available targets based on their unrestricted free agents than the Cardinals each of Ertz Max Williams and Daryl or Darnell Daniels were um unrestricted free agents so really getting Ertz back I think was big for them now 
we do have to look at his splits a little bit because, you know, DeAndre Hopkins was out for, I believe, all but two games. Ertz was in there. But one of those games was against the Bears where, like, Kyler Murray only threw the ball 15 or 20 times. So I'm not going to use, like, a two-game split of, of Ertz with DeAndre Hopkins as a reason to fade the guy because, let's face it, he was pretty damn good last year. One season after, you know, really looking like a shell of himself because I think of some of the injuries he was playing through in 2020. Overall on the year, in terms of just top eight PPR tight end weeks only mark andrews travis kelsey and dalton schultz had more than zach Ertz. so Dwayne, where are you kind of feeling zach Ertz in the ranks right now because you know we're not trying to treat him as the number three number four tight end that he was in philly for a long time with that said you know top eight top ten i think is very reasonable for the guy we've seen tight ends age more gracefully than any position other than quarterbacks and hopkins will get his Ertz pretty damn good in his own right yeah, I think I think he's a lock as a low end tight end one. Yeah. And he's going to be pretty safe, and you know that he could give you more. Like right now, if you had to, uh, Girl Scouts at your door, Ian, <laughs> and you have to choose the pecking order of the Cardinals passing game. I mean, are you that sure Rondell Moore is going to get more targets than Zach Ertz? We know we would put DeAndre Hopkins first, right? Yeah, Hopkins I, one. I, I think I put Ertz second. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's an argument. If somebody says it's not an argument, they just have on rose colored glasses around Rondell Moore. Like 2A, Rondell 2A, Moore 2A, but, 2B. 2A, 2B, right. one way or another. Rondell Moore is who we want to see get the second most targets because we want to see Rondell Moore do all those great things we saw at Purdue running after the catch and doing all those things. But in reality, like it's 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 a coin flip on which one of these guys. And you probably have to say that you favor Ertz over Moore. Yeah. Um, so with knowing that, I mean, he's probably going to get somewhere between an 18, 22%, you know, target share, somewhere in that range. He finished at 17%, you know, or 18% last year. So, I mean, he's going to be right in that range. Um, he's not quite as good as he was, you know, at his pinnacle um, in Philly when he was seeing targets per route run, 25%, 27%, 24%. Those days are over. Probably not going to see the the, the seasons with uh, yards per route run over two anymore. Um, but still, a very functional tight end, to your point. These guys can play until later in their career. You know, he'll be 31.9 when the season starts in September. I mean, Zach Ertz, Yak, the best Twitter account ever. Like, we've been mocking this dude's <laughs> inability to break tackles for, like, half a decade. It's not like even in his prime he was winning with, like, overall um, athletic abilities. So, yeah, I do think he could age uh, awfully gracefully. Also, just uh, one final note, he actually did play more snaps in the slaughter out wide in each of his final 11 games with the Cardinals. His first game was the only time he uh, played more as a true inline tight end. One could argue, it doesn't matter in fantasy, but one could argue that Cliff Kingsbury, like, this is his way of running a four wide receiver base offense like without pissing off the boomer mainstream media like Zach Ertz is now effectively like a big slot receiver but you know he's a tight end we've, we've called him a tight end so people can uh, lay off him with that that's just you know Dwayne I, I love my tight ends like how they use storylines it's one of the things that brings me happiness <laughs> in this world just a couple more things before we get out of here everyone thanks as always for tuning in uh the Bears did claim Darrington Evans formerly of Tennessee Titans always seemed like Derrick Henry's potential handcuff you know was a third round pick back in 2019 unfortunately just hasn't been able to stay healthy so my big kind of takeaway from this, Dwayne, not that Evans is going to give us uh, really anything as a standalone value, but seemingly this was the Bears. This was the first move the Bears made after they cut Tariq Cohen with an injury settlement. So the Bears death chart running back is Dave Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, and now Darrington Evans. We've seen Montgomery just like almost like what we saw with Josh Jacobs towards the end of last year, like not the best offense in the world, but just getting volume and the amount of checkdowns. Antonio Gibson light uh, at the end of last year as well. You can be in a bad offense, but if you're the team's undisputed three-down running back, like Montgomery largely was without Cohen, you can still be an RB1 in fantasy land. Now, we need to adjust for the new offense that's going to be going on in Chicago, but Man, like if Tariq Cohen, uh, my, my big point here, if Tariq Cohen would have been coming back to the Bears this year, that would have scared me a hell of a lot more than the current situation, which is looking like Montgomery, Herbert, and Evans. Yeah, I think Khalil Herbert's the real potential scary That's the question, part, you know, for That's Montgomery because you do have a new offensive coordinator coordinator coming in another offense is going to be kind of that Shanahan style. It's actually coming from, you know, the Lafleur tree. So we'll see what happens with that. But I, I Evans, who knows, like, does he even make the team? Uh, but yeah, I think for Montgomery right now, I think you still look at him as, 
you know, the lead back probably going to handle 65 to 70% of the snaps with Herbert spelling him, but we'll have to keep a close eye on it. Like how do things, how are things shaking out as far as training camp, you know, and are we starting to, you know, hear that potentially, you know, this could be more of a split backfield and that would be something that would definitely catch my attention just because Herbert did play well uh, in the limited sample that we got to see last year. Luke Getzey, new bears coordinator has spent really the last almost decade with our the Packers and then one year as the Mississippi State offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach. As you know, Aaron Jones managers have seen over the years, Packers aren't exactly, you know, lining up to give the number one quarterback, uh, number one running back, excuse me, 300 plus touches. Dwayne, once these ADP numbers start to kind of cement themselves out the free agency, we really need to look at Khalil Herbert because to your point, it could be a split committee or he could just once again be one of the more valuable handcuffs in all fantasy football. Yeah, I think he's going to carry value to your point, no matter what. Um, like, it's just a matter of how much of a role can he carve out. At a minimum, he is going to be a good handcuff to have um, for David Montgomery in that offense. Final points here, everyone. The Chargers re-signed some exclusive rights-free agents. Jalen Guyton, their number three, number four wide receiver, and Donald Parham. With Guyton, I think this just reinforces alongside the Mike Williams contract extension that Josh Palmer, it's going to be really tough for him uh, to do much this year. I mean, last year, it was Keenan Allen, it was Mike Williams, and then Guyton and Palmer were more or less like splitting reps. Like, they don't have the same role. Guyton's used a little bit more downfield. If Keenan Allen misses time, like Palmer actually kind of steps in more uh, to that role. He's and they're more comfortable using him a little bit more underneath. Uh, either way, though, their snaps and routes are just you know so close, or at least they were last year. Uh, that's gonna be a major hurdle for either Guyton or Palmer to be you know any sort of a fantasy relevant wide receiver. And like when you put in Austin Eckler getting the amount of targets he does, it just makes things that much more difficult. Donald Parham is the only it's not the only interesting guy in LA, but he's more interesting than Guyton, just in that he could. Theoretically, be their tight end one. Jared Cook and Steven Anderson remain unrestricted free agents. Now, we, this, the leap of faith we're taking with Parham is that the Chargers could view him as an every down tight end. When I talked with the Athletics' Daniel Popper before last season, he indicated they did not, and he ended up Parham never played more than fifty three percent of the offensive snaps in a game in two thousand twenty one. So, hey, he's only twenty four years old, I believe. Last time I saw, he wasn't with the Chargers all that long. Maybe now they have a higher amount of confidence in being and every down tight end but Dwayne you know in addition to a couple of these other rooms we've talked about not saying Parham's a guy we need to get behind the same thing with uh, Barrios and Isaiah McKenzie but like those situations let's keep an eye on this Chargers tight end room because if we're sitting here in May and they really haven't done anything else all of a sudden we could have you know a fairly full-time receiver with Justin Herbert at an affordable price in fantasy yeah, I mean, even if he's only out there for like 65% of the snaps, but that equals 75%, you know, of the routes, you know, so he's out there mostly on the passing plays. Um, you know, his targets per route run haven't been in like anything elite, but pretty good. I mean, over his first two seasons, an 18%, and then last year, a 17%, you know, definitely have seen worse. If you can get to a, if you can get that number to around 20 and you can be out on the field for like 70% of the passing plays. Um, you're going to have low end tight end one, high end tight end two value. So to your point, we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, what do they do? Who else do they bring in? You know, is it something where we think that Parham could actually see that kind of role? Or are we going to end up thinking that's a little bit more far-fetched once they're finished with all the moves? That is going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Dwayne and I will be back at least Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Uh, we'll see if things are still flying on Thursday and Friday. If they are, we'll be back then as well. Don't worry, we'll be back probably Friday or Monday, worst case, and just going through basically every single team again like we did last week, making sure that we cover each and everything, get set up for best ball and beyond. Uh, Dwayne, myself, and Nathan Yonke are updating a fantasy tracker on PFF.com, trying to get that stuff up as quick as possible so if you have any questions about what we just talked about and truly and we covered even more players now i think than we talked about on this podcast you can go into it just control f find the player and you can get some high level fantasy thoughts again for free if you want to get a sub because why the hell not code fantasy for 25 percent off Dwayne, great job anything else you want to get off your chest no man no no just looking forward to who else who else signs tonight now it's like the defensive players like are all hitting so uh, it's just time to be it's a great day to be great as you say Ian like it's look it's free agency like I said early to start off like we're just starting to get a real idea of like what a team is want to do what are their rosters going to look like and then man it's going to be projection season we're going to be putting together like where are all these guys going to be in our projections so I'm super excited 
I just hope we don't get – I think it was the Monday night when we had the uh, Antonio Brown Bills trade back in the day. And then we had Le'Veon Bell like getting uh-huh. all this – Get, getting everyone hyped up and he drops a shitty rap album at midnight and then like <laughs> announces his decision like 30 minutes later. So for o- those of us that were waiting up to respond to it, it was like just, just a nightmare, kind of like his uh, Jets tenure, but the man got paid. So it is what it is. For Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thanks as always for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody.